Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. Myself, my brother, and and another friend were on the trail of at least one deer. We had seen a recent bed where it had been warm and had gotten up, but as we were following it through the thick forest bunch of trees, um, the wind was howling and the snow was kind of blinding us to the point where we had to put our sunglasses on so that we could open our eyes at all. This was, by the way, the first year that I realized you can and should bring clear glasses for situations just like these, so lesson learned. And of course, uh, we took a bunch of time trying to find this deer, but alas, we had lost it. So as we had traveled all the way through these trees, we had relied upon, in the back of our minds, our tracks behind us to show us how to get back out. Some of you are laughing because you hear that in the windy conditions and the snow conditions, very quickly, as we turned around and were following our own tracks back out, with no landmarks around and thick forest of trees, we realized the wind and the snow was covering our tracks, quickly disappearing, and it wasn't long before those tracks were completely gone. We were in the middle of this wooded forest, no landmarks to get our bearings. We were lost, like lost. We were desperate. This was also the year that I learned that I can download a map of the area to my phone because I'm too cheap to purchase a GPS in order to never get in that situation of being lost again. But the experience of being truly lost comes with this sense of desperation. Now, desperation, that's a word that can be overused at times, but not in this next story. We're going to open up to just two verses real quick in John chapter 9, verse 1. It'll be on the screens. Jesus walking along with his disciples, and it says this, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I'm not going to continue with this story except to spoil it a little bit and tell you Jesus does, in fact, perform a miracle and and cure this man who was born blind and give him the miracle of sight. But I'm not going to continue with that story because from what we just read, from those first two verses, we can know that this man, blind from birth, was all too familiar with the sensation of truly, completely being desperately lost. No way to avoid things in life that you might bump into, might cause you harm, can trip you up, cause you pain. That sensation is tough enough. But on top of that, in this culture, the people who were blind had no real ability to earn a living for themselves. They had no ability to provide for themselves. And so they would often, frequently, blind people would become beggars. Someone who was blind from birth, who had no medicinal or surgical hope of fixing their situation. So a life from birth where poverty 
and isolation and blindness was an everyday reality that he couldn't escape. This man was hopelessly, desperately lost. And as if that were not enough, the religious community makes sure to put one more bit of pain upon this guy. The religious community often would ascribe that if someone is suffering from blindness, that either them or their parents had done something to deserve it. We know this from the disciples saying, Jesus, it was one of the two. Either he did something to deserve it or his parents did something to deserve it. Someone screwed up. And so it's hard for them, the religious community, to feel sorry for and and give handouts or extra mercy to blind sinners like them. Lost. Truly lost. Desperate and blind. Just like John Newton. Remember? If you were here a couple of weeks back, uh, you remember that before our playlist series started, we had my friend John, not, not me, I'm John, not the author of the gospel we just read, that's John. Not John Newton, he's dead, but John Rorvik uh, is, is my friend that a couple of weeks ago as we entered into our service, we, we had John share a wonderful, powerful story behind the song Amazing Grace. And whether you were here that weekend or not, I'm gonna ask him to do it again. So John, tell us the story behind the song. As John said, some of you may have been here a number of weeks ago and remember the story of the hymn Amazing Grace. I'm gonna dig a little deeper into that story this morning, specifically looking at two key moments But first, a very quick recap of what we talked about last time. The lyrics to Amazing Grace were written by John Newton. He lived in England in the 1700s. He was troubled from an early age. His mom was a Christian, and she tried to instill in her young son a a faith, but she died when he was seven. His father, often away at sea, so John was left driftless. He wandered through childhood, and it didn't get much better when he grew up and joined the Royal Navy. John wouldn't listen to anyone. Uh, People remarked he was as nasty a person as they had ever met. Now, he was a smart guy. In fact, while he was at sea, he taught himself Latin and geometry. But he acted so badly toward other people that finally, one day, his crewmates got so fed up with him that, check this out, they dumped him off the ship. They, they abandoned him in Africa, just left him. So now maybe you're thinking, okay, wait a minute. This is the guy that wrote Amazing Grace? Okay, something must have happened to take this person, this foul-mouthed, rebellious sailor, sailor to someone who could write the words to one of the most amazing songs in the Christian faith. Well, maybe you've heard it said that life comes down to a few moments. That's proved true in my life, and it sure was in John Newton's as well. I think that looking at a couple of John Newton's moments will help us understand both him and the song better. And maybe along the way, we might learn something about ourselves as well. The first moment was when Newton was 23 years old. So he was abandoned in Africa at age 20. He's been in Africa now for three years. He was actually working as a servant 
to slaves. His dad finally got involved and got him passage back to England. But on the way home, his vessel was caught in a violent storm. I found out this storm went on for weeks. He was staring death in the face every single day, and that apparently got him thinking. He started reading scripture. Newton said later that he suspected Christianity might actually be true. I mean, his mother had instilled that in him as a young boy. He had a moment something like uh, Jonah did in the Old Testament. Newton and his terrible ordeal, Newton said rather, that this terrible ordeal did not mark his conversion, but what he later called, it's an interesting phrase, a great day of turning. It can take a while, can it, for some people to come full circle to complete the full journey toward faith. So that's the first moment in John Newton's life. The ship survived. He made it back to England. He needed work. So he started a job bringing slaves from Africa back to England. Apparently, he didn't see a conflict between his newfound developing faith and doing that for a living. It's interesting that before he was a servant to slaves, and now he was a master over them. Now, the story goes that uh, he did treat slaves better than your average slave trader. After a few years, he quit that job. On to the next thing. He started to study theology. He eventually became a minister, and he developed a habit of writing a hymn for every sermon he prepared. So after that first moment in the storm, when he began the process of inclining his heart toward God, now we come to a second moment. It's the day he wrote Amazing Grace. That day, Newton was able to do something really quite remarkable. In his lyrics, he does not sugarcoat his past or think of himself more highly by comparing himself to someone whose conduct might have been worse than his, like thinking, hey, you know what? I treated the slaves better than the other guys did. No, he simply calls himself, I mean, he actually uses this word. He calls himself a wretch. When applied to a person, that word means despicable and vile. But Newton didn't make the opposite mistake either of just wallowing there, as some might do, where one thinks, say, hey, you know what? My stuff is too big. My sins are too great. I am not even worth saving. As big as he thought his wretchedness was, he saw a grace that was much bigger. In his mind, as he wrote these lyrics, that grace appeared so big, he just had to put the word amazing in front of it. So I found three takeaways from John Newton's life in my own life. Here's the first. We can look at someone in our life who is very far from faith, and we can fall into despair, a feeling of hopelessness that this person will never turn their heart toward God. Now, I wish I could take a moment here and look every one of you in the eye and speak over you a word that a dear friend spoke over me. The final chapter has not been written. Remember that. That's been a refrain in my life. I hope it is in yours too. The final chapter has not been written. Second, like Newton, I have to first fully acknowledge and then never forget that I am a sinner. I have to remember that every single day. And third, that God's grace is always, always bigger than that sin. Always holding on to that 
his own great sin, God's amazing grace, that stuck with Newton for the rest of his life. In fact, as he neared death, his mind and memory now failing him, we have these among John Newton's very last recorded words. Quote, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. John Newton saw himself as lost and blind in a way maybe, maybe a few of us have. Or maybe we haven't. See, Newton identified himself deeply, profoundly with the blind and desperately lost. He called himself a wretch. A wretch. Maybe there's some of us right now that need no reminders of what a wretch we are. Maybe there's some of us right now in this room or watching or listening online that, that know how desperately lost and wayward we are. And if that's you, please hear me softly and gracefully. This message is very specifically for you. And perhaps some of us consider ourselves saved but don't really consider the question, saved from what? You remember this? Or was that something years ago, seasons ago? Saved from what? What is it that Jesus has saved me from? Not just sinful humanity in general, but you and me. Here's what I know I've been saved from, found in God's timeless word, not just my take on the situation, how I identify myself. I've been saved from my own sense of self, and boy, was it there. In many ways, still is, but I've been saved from this. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. I've been saved from a life where I call the shots, a life destined to go apart from God. Ephesians 2, 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in your world. It's where you chose to be. That's where you found yourself. I've been saved from a way of living that purely and simply is destructive and leads to death. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin, the cost, the price of our sin is death. And when played out, when that is lived as a part of my soul, of, of how I live my life throughout my life and eternally, I have been saved from hell. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for every person to die once and after that comes judgment. It's a certainty. John 3, 18 through 19, just a couple of verses after some of the most famous verses in all of scripture. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. Look, we may not like it, the reality of eternal hell, but God's word is very clear to us about the reality of hell. 
Francis Chan once opened a book that he wrote on the reality of hell by saying this, first lines in the book, if you're excited to read this book, you have issues. We may not like it. We may not even understand it. But God is clear in his explanation to us about the eternal condition of those that are eternally lost and stay lost in the darkness. No one likes to be lost. No one likes to be lost. So what is God's take on the situation? When we find ourselves in a pattern of life, maybe some of you here in this room or listening online are in this pattern of life right now where you feel, yep, that's me. I'm hopelessly and desperately lost. What's God's take on that? Do you get the sense from reading scripture and being around Christians that he is angry? Do you get the sense that in your lostness, God is judgmental? Well, listen to the wretch. John Newton, the man who had curses on his lips and blood on his hands, and he identified himself very clearly with the desperately lost and blind. He knew for certain that he was a wretch and lost, and he didn't sense that God was angry. John Newton saw God in the heart of Luke 15. So that's where we're going to be for the heart of our time. Timberliners, grab your Bibles or open up your Bible apps. John 15, we're going to read this, study this together. Love it when you make notes and engage in Scripture together. As always, if you don't have a Bible, grab one on the way out. We'd love for you to engage in this. Part of the reason there is, yes, we study and make notes together. And also, I'd love for you to put a bookmark or something at Luke 15 Turn to this later in your week because there's some great study opportunities and reading opportunities for you to engage in further or using the bonus resource questions. Now, we're gonna start at verse 11 and there's some great verses leading up to that and of course, great verses before that and great verses before that, but, but I don't even have to paint the scene here because with no offense to John Rorvik or Pastor Dick Foth, there is no better storyteller than Jesus. Here we go, verse 11. And he said, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them, his two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. By the way, that's, that's a quote within a quote within a quote within a quote. That's just kind of interesting to me there. <laughs> I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him 
and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the, and the son said to him, this rehearsed speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and put shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. See, the son is sitting there in all of his misery and desperation going, I just need the pain to end. I've hit rock bottom. And as soon as the father sees him, Jesus crafted this part of the story very carefully. Here comes the father running. I've got to tell you, I need to experience the God right now in my life that comes to me running. Not conditional on how I'm doing or how things are going. I need to experience the God that when I come before him, as soon as he sees me, he comes running to me. Jesus masterfully shared this in this fictional parable, remembering that this wasn't an actual event because God uses all the language and the dynamics of a story or a famine or even our suffering or a song over us like we talked about in Zephaniah a couple of weeks ago. Whatever it takes, God will use whatever it takes to really find those who are lost. The heart of God comes after the lost. And maybe you're still there feeling like as a wretch, my sin, woe is me, it overcomes me. And if all of this message here is just too good to be true, listen to God's words, not mine. Listen to timeless words that God gives his people that found truly lost people like John Newton and John Mel and you. John 3, 16 through 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not stay lost, should not stay distant, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This grace is really amazing. This is truly miraculous stuff for those that find themselves desperately lost. Our case study today, John Newton, he, as you heard John Rorvik say, all these Johns all over the place, you, didn't, you heard that John Newton did not stay in despair. Woe is me, I'm a desperate wretch. He identified with the blind. He identified with the lost. But he didn't just stay there. He also identified with their miraculous encounter of being found. John Rorvik knows this. John Newton knows this. John, the author of the gospel, knows this. I pray that you would know this. Identify yourself with those that are lost, what you've been saved from, yes, and allow yourself to be found. 
And John Newton wrote a song about it. Maybe you've heard of it before. (laughs) It's covered on 11,000 albums. It's performed over 10 million times each year, including in several different versions of our songs before in this service. All jokes aside, our lost and found song celebrates and evangelizes amazing grace. I've sung this song to my kids every day since they were born. It's a celebration and a blessing that we share together as a foundation. It's one of the most sung songs that there is, amazing grace. And maybe one of the hardest to actually truly believe. But if it's true, if John Newton really was able to see that the wretches, the miserable, hopeless wretches that Jesus encountered, that they somehow encountered salvation. They someone, somehow encountered the miracle of amazing grace. And that John Newton said, maybe I can too. And maybe you can too. Then it is truly amazing grace. What a celebration. What a message that we have. Guys, that's why as a church, you and I, we actively celebrate and evangelize this amazing grace. We allow the amazing grace that we have received to just pour over our lives. God, no matter who I am, no matter what I've done, thank you for your amazing grace. It's not cheap grace. I know it cost you but it was victorious, amazing grace. And no matter the sin, your grace is greater. That is amazing grace. That is why we serve. That's the fuel behind our service and and coming to church and not just receiving service from one another, but participating in that and serving one another. That's why we give to the mission of the church. That's why we faithfully say, you know what? God has faithfully and steadfastly and unconditionally given me grace after grace after grace. And so my involvement in his church is gonna be unconditional and faithful just like that. Not dependent on the momentum of things or how much I like them. I'm gonna be a part of the mission of the church because amazing grace has so filled my life and defined me. It's just gonna overflow into everything I do. And guys, this is why we want you to share your own lives with people. Don't be afraid of those words, evangelizing and discipling. It simply means know who you are and what you've been saved from and invite other people into that story. Show them that you're imperfect. Show them that like Newton and like the blind beggar in scripture, I've been desperate, and other than Jesus, I have no right to stand before God, but guess what? He gave me amazing grace. He gives us amazing grace. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not a songwriter, I can't share like John Newton did. Well, you have neighbors, coworkers, friends, invite them to church. More than just inviting them to a building or a church service, invite them to be around other people that like you say, man, this amazing grace has so defined me and changed me, I can't help but allow it to spill out into things like the fall food drive and Operation Christmas Child and volunteering and all these things, the heartbeat behind them is that I've received amazing grace and it just overflows through me to others. 
And here's why we want you to continue to participate, not just in the life of the church by coming and serving and giving, but also inviting people to the life of the church. Because you can have confidence that when you do, they are going to rub shoulders with people that proclaim this message of amazing grace. You can know that the song that they're going to hear might have a verse that goes like this. God saying, just because I speak in terms of closeness and brokenness, eternal separation and eternally together, it never means that I desire any of you to stay distant. I tell the wanderer where the path is because it leads home to me. Matthew 7, 13 through 14, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those that find it are few, too few. And as we just read, God says, when the wanderer returns, I pursue them, I run after them. God says, I tell the hurting, maybe some of you here today, I tell the hurting where their real source of pain and struggle is so that it might end and they might find healing. James 1, 15, desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's where our real hurt and pain comes from. Romans 6, 12, let not sin therefore reign have control in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And here's God's response, Psalm 147, verse three. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God says, I declare truth <laughs> amidst all kinds of creations of what truth is because God says, it really is my creation. I am. And to know me is to know truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, and you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Guys, God knows that governments and institutions and even religious people will fail. And he says, I give you myself. I give you my son. He testifies to the truth and his words and his life proclaim my lost and found song to you. No one likes being lost. But to be found, truly found, is an experience like no other. No one likes to be lost, but to be truly found is an experience, a feeling like no other. So here's how I want us to end our time. As an extension of, of the goal of this playlist series that we've been in, striving to, to pursue responses and actions from the people of the church in engaging in worship, I want us to have some time and some space where you can respond to whatever God is doing on your heart. 
want you to acknowledge and respect maybe this space, just a few minutes. I know it powerfully happened last service. Just respect this time in this space as holy space. Would you close your eyes with me? We don't just gather here together in this room or, or those joining us online just in this setting. When we share the gospel, when we proclaim the good news that each of us is a wretch, each of us has that sin condition in our hearts and left to ourselves, we would be hopelessly desperate and lost. But through the work and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we have amazing grace. We have life. We can be found through just proclaiming that there is power. There is a power to do what this sermon, what these church services, what the worship songs and ministries can never do on their own. Power to save. So with every eye closed, I want to acknowledge this as some space. For those of you here in this room, and again, for those of you joining online, if God is doing a work in your heart where you have been wandering, you have been lost, desperately lost, I pray that as we share the power of the gospel that it's quickening something within you. And I wanna ask, it's not about anybody else in here, eyes are closed. I wanna ask if that's where you're at, either here or online, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. If God is seeking your heart, you have been a wretch. You have been lost. He does not leave you there. His gaze upon you is not angry. It is in love. It is of the Father. By you raising your hand right now, by you proclaiming in your heart, yeah, that's me. He sees you and he runs after you in love. Know that that is amazing grace and that from this moment on, you're saved. You have been found. And as eyes are still closed, if that's you, I want you to share that with somebody. Maybe, maybe take an opportunity, write on the connection card after this service, just saved and write your name and I'd love to follow up with you and help you on that. There's another prayer that I want to invite people to respond to. If you've been wandering, if you've been lost and wandering, whether because of temptation or the flesh or just from faithfulness, you've been wandering and you need to see and know a God that comes after you and finds you, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Either here or in line. Thank you. God, for those that quickened in their hearts, they find themselves wandering far from you. May they know that this is a moment that they can consider themselves found that their relationship with you doesn't require them to, to clean and, and pretty all this stuff up, that they can simply say, here I am, God. You know I've been wandering. I know I've been wandering, but I'm, I'm here before you, and I lay myself before you. May they know that you are a God that extends to them amazing grace and walks with them. 
And lastly, God, I wanna pray for those of us that need to take some time to ask the question, what is it that I've truly been saved from? If I consider myself saved, have I, have I really personally reflected on what is it that I have been saved from? If you need that reflection that time, let me pray for you. Just raise your hand so I can pray for you. Thank you. God, for those of us raising our hands or quickened in our hearts that need to take that time and say, I need to acknowledge where I would have been without God, where I was when I had ignored or wandered away from God. Maybe take some time a little bit later in this weekend journal. What am I saved from? Talk to people in our connections or around the church just to allow our amazing grace song to be renewed and refreshed. And I thank you for this time of renewing that song so that we can truly acknowledge the amazing, amazing grace that we have. In your name, for your glory, amen. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.